Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. On this week's episode, we have Lauren. Hello. Lachlan. Hello. And Justin. This week is part two of our World Cup special, where we tackle World Cups in space and talk about the feasibility of World Cup being on another planet. We also talk about how you can bend it like Beckham or spin it like Andy Murray and various different ways that all science is a fascinating field. And now we launch into our Launchpad News segment. Are you guys ready to bend it like Beckham? And by that I mean change from an athlete to making documentaries? And being an underwear model. Don't forget that. That's really important. And dating a Spice Girl? And they married. They have two kids. Oh. How did you miss this thing? <laughs> you don't pay enough attention to popular culture. Obviously. Okay. Well, a lot of scientists have actually been analysing the soccer balls used in the World Cup because there's a special like soccer ball designed for each World Cup, each with... A different surface and it's put together in a different way. Don't forget the design. The design's the most important part. They're going to look pretty. That's yeah, true. That's right. Yeah. The aesthetics, red makes things go faster, obviously. Mm-hmm. And what they found is that the actual, the, the surface characteristics of the ball is having amazing consequences for how it travels in the air. Well, that makes complete sense. If you look at a golf ball, a golf ball is not just a solid thing of chunk of metal and ceramic. It's actually dimpled and it's designed in a certain way to improve its aerodynamics and fluid flow. So if it applies to a golf ball, which is a tiny thing, of course it's going to apply to a soccer or a football. Okay, so you're telling me in all those situations where the player gets a, like a free kick and then they try and kick it and it goes way over like the goal, that that's just not them complaining, but there could be actual consequences from like the soccer ball? Well, that's right, and it's actually a real big part for the sport to know what kind of ball they're getting and then practice with it. So, they, so the people who are taking those free kicks or those spot kicks or penalty kicks know exactly how it's going to behave in those circumstances. And that's why often people, as the tournament goes on, do a lot better, because they've gotten used to it. But it, it's certainly not just a simple case of, oh, this is a standard ball. It's not like with AFL, where they have a Sharon, which doesn't really change year on year. Um, it's, this is a ball that changes basically each major tournament. So you basically... It's like getting into an AFL final and having a completely different ball that you have never used before and have to, to learn what to do with it. And Justin's not really exaggerating there, because um, it actually can even change when a ball's spinning, whether it will go up or down. So, Okay, so what is it about the ball that causes these changes? And most of what this is relating to is actually the surface properties of the ball and the way in which it reacts to the air flowing over it. And this gets into the field of fluid mechanics and aerodynamics, which is all about the way that... It's hard to think of it, but air is a fluid and the ball is an object, so it's moving through the air. So even though the ball itself is moving, it's got airflow over it. So we're actually looking at a problem of lift, thrust and aerodynamic and drag, which is exactly what we deal with on planes, on cars, on torpedoes, swimsuit, on um, downhill skiers, all being applied to the ball flying through the air. And much like the same way that if you have uh, the shape, the airfoil shape of a wing, you can actually get it to cause lift, which is what enables planes to fly. Um, So controlling aerodynamics can make you go faster, it can also make you go up, it can also make you go certain ways or not. And it's all about the surface of the ball itself. Um, golf balls are also can be designed, or footballs, one of the reasons why um, different types of kicks in AFL, for example, or rugby, where you throw the ball, um, if you impart spin to it, what you can actually be doing is actually changing the way the fluid behaves by instead of having it flow straight over, making it have a spiralling vortex, which again, 
changes the actual outcomes. Much the same thing happens with tennis balls and even cricket balls. Cricket balls have some amazing um, ways of uh, reacting differently because it starts off one way and over the course of a match it degrades and changes and if you play it right you can actually get it to swing incredibly differently and unpredictably uh, about four hours into using it. So what is it exactly about the soccer balls? Is it like the material they're made up of or the laces, I guess? I'm not that familiar with soccer balls. Um, there's lots of characteristics that go together. So it's the way the pieces of fabric that make them, or the piece of material that make the fabric actually join together. And it's also the surface coating of the um, ball itself. Because like when we talk about Thorpey's swimsuit, we make that really, really smooth. Um, so water or fluid or air can pass right over it. The same way, um, when these new balls are being made, they're really, really smooth because they just come from the factory. Um, and so air will travel over it a different way if it's been worn over with time. So does that make it more predictable, less predictable? Well, it changes the way it can actually behave. So when I was talking about examples from other sports or tennis, you might remember top spin where you impart some sort of spin on the top of the ball and it can actually sort of bounce back or, or just drop out. So it's sort of travelling along and then all of a sudden it just drops down. Um, in, it, that's caused by a physical fluid mechanic response called the Magnus effect, which is really kind of cool, but it, what enables you to pull off some, some really stunning and unpredictable behaviours, because the ball looks like it's flying along, and then all of a sudden it will drop down. Um, and that's a staple of a lot of football soccer players' shots, um, such as Lionel Messi, who's a very famous um, striker. And, without, and that relies on having some surface roughness on the surface of the ball. If you take it away, you don't get the Magnus effect occurring, which means that that shot doesn't happen. As easily or at all. In fact, not only does it not happen, um, you can have reversing effects where it'll bounce the wrong way. So, normally, if you imagine um, a ball, so basically, if, if you're if you're trying to kick it so that it drops down and bounces toward back towards you, which is what you do when you're doing topspin in tennis, um, so where you throw the ball and it bounces back towards you, what it will do instead is now bounce back away from you or drop further away, and that kind of reverses it sort of you've, you've lined it up to do one thing but now the effect basically changed so what you've imparted on it does the opposite and if you've trained and honed your skills for years as a footballer to do all these kind of trick shots and that's like your staple and all of a sudden they, they go the wrong it, way it's just like having your controls inverted when you're playing your favorite computer game or ex console game all of a sudden you're trying to aim up to shoot and you're aiming down and then you're like you're crashing into things and you're dead this is basically what's happening on the football pitches but they don't die no they don't die they just suck and then lose so it's actually really interesting so they take a lot of time for this, the players themselves to actually adapt to the changes in the ball and um, it means that they have to leading up to the event they actually have to distribute balls and get people to practice with them but it's also a level up like if you think about it from a tournament organisers perspective you've actually if you give a new ball to everyone they're all starting with the same starting point they all have the same time to get used to it and they all can have the same amount of practice so no one has one particular advantage over another team. So it's a great way to have a national tournament, or an international tournament that way. But it just goes to show some of the really intricate physics and mechanics that go into enabling some of the amazing spectacles we see in school. You know what guys? I hate football. In fact, I hate it so much I wish I could get rid of it on Earth altogether. What, you mean like banish it to the outer reaches of space? Yes, and then it would just be done forever, we'd never have to worry about it again.
Wait, well, are, we, are we calling it football or soccer? Well, we're calling it Spaceball. <laughs> no, that's a movie by Mel Brooks. It's also very funny. Um, well, what are, you, what, are you, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to like, banish the sport to outer space? Yeah, just get rid of it. Because you couldn't play a sport in outer space. Oh, I don't know. The president of FIFA, Sepp Blatter, who is, a, for various reasons, not really a 100% reliable and authoritative source on many things... Uh, <laughs> Uh, he has said basically that, you know, one day he sees the FIFA World Cup being played on other planets. It's just a natural part of the evolution of the world game. Because, you know, it's it's played by basically every country in the world. Um, it's hugely popular. Why not have other planets playing against other planets? It's, it's only it's the natural evolution. I've got a couple of issues with this theory. Okay. Um, there's two. One, it's really hard to live without oxygen. Yes. And two, we don't really have anyone living on these other planets to, to play against. Yet. Yet. Now, this is the important part. You are lacking the long-term vision of FIFA president <laughs> Sepp Blatter. He is thinking not like this year, not next year, but years and years into the future. Okay, look, when you seem to be pretty against this idea, how about we name some planets for you and you tell us why these planets could not be played. Right, let's start, let's start simply and we'll, we'll ease you into it. The sun. Okay, um... The sun. I'm sure there's something here that's stopping us. Oh, it's really hot! No! <laughs> Look, they've got to play the World Cup in uh, eight years, in four years' time, in fact, in Qatar. You that's know, pretty it, hot. Where it hits 50 degrees, and they're playing it in the summer, so much so that they're building stadiums that don't yet exist in the middle of the desert, for some weird reason, to play the sporting thing in summer, which no one really understands why they want it over, say, like Australia or Korea or any other place where it'd be infinitely more logical for somewhere to have it. Sorry, I lied. Russia is the next one in 2018. This one would be in 2022. Um, but the, the, like, to, in order for this to happen, they're going to have to be like air conditioners flying and blimps but to cool down the pitches did, did as it plays. Did you say Russia? Yes. So we're going from somewhere really, really cold to somewhere really, really hot? Exactly. And this makes infinite sense. So if we can deal with Qatar, then I think we can deal with the sun. That's just, that's just like not even trying. Wait, Justin, we're, we're thinking too far away. How about somewhere a little bit closer? How about the moon? Look... The moon is has a lot of craters on it. It'd be really hard to get a flat pitch going. Well, it's, it'd be a bit like playing on a, on a clay court as opposed to a grass court. So you have the differences in tennis where you have, you know, Wimbledon versus France. What about the gravity, though? If you kick the ball, it'll go flying up. It well, might... Yeah, exactly. So it would mean that aerial activity, like scissor kicks, would be like a standard part of the game. They'd take like three minutes to complete, <laughs> but they'd be very cool to watch. Exactly. I think the game might be a bit too slow-paced, just by the lack of gravity. I think it would encourage like more interesting play, because you'd really have to use momentum to counter the slow pitch and flight of the ball. Mm-hmm. So what about what, what about another planet like Venus? So Venus is like Earth. It's got gravity that's reasonable. It's similar in size to us. It's got a bit of clouds, so the sun's not so much an issue. But what what would you think of playing Venus? Doesn't isn't that one with toxic rain, Justin? Potentially, <laughs> we don't have pressures pressures of like ten atmospheres on the surface. Actually, pressure would be really interesting because the ball would just like shrink to the size of a marble. Yeah. Also, you wouldn't be able to move because you'd be covered in massive metal f- armor in order to keep you alive. Hey, power suit soccer. I'd watch that though. Okay, so you'd watch power suit acid rain soccer on Venus. Yes, I definitely <laughs> would. All right. <laughs> okay. Well, what about something a bit more friendly, charming, like Mars? Mars has a similar gravity to Earth. It's got kind of got an atmosphere, or it had an atmosphere. Um, you think we could play soccer on Mars? Yeah, I think we'd get a team of the rovers going. 
Yeah, well, they, they, they're very good at other things. And you joke, but as part of one of the other long-term plans of FIFA, they have one. Obviously, the space one is a really long-term plan. But they believe that by a, a mid-2020s, they will have robot soccer players. So they already hold um, robot World Cups where they basically teach robots to play soccer or football. Um, they start off with this... The base level is like with little Mindstorm robots, and they've been working up to humanoid robotics. And they're actually aiming to have, in the mid-2020s, a humanoid robotic team of soccer-playing robots. Separate from the real World Cup, though, not replacing it. Right? Well, not replacing it, but that's their aim. to try and, That's a challenge for robotics that FIFA is sort of involved in to try and progress the field further. I wonder how long it'll take before we have um, human robot matches because obviously these scientists would be a bit unhappy if a, a soccer player takes a sliding dive at one of these robots and <laughs> takes out $50,000 worth of technology in one go. Well, that being said, a soccer player is worth millions of dollars so I think the, ro- the soccer player is actually be more valuable than the robot because the robot is relatively cheap to make and repeatable. In which case, if the soccer player gets scraped on the robot, they're probably going to be more upset about that. soccer player. Interesting. So it's actually, it would be really fascinating to have humans versus robots, but I'd be more interested in a human-robot team playing soccer because the manoeuvres that you could pull off would be phenomenal. Obviously, you still need to play within the offside rule, uh, but, you know, that, that would work quite fantastically. Are we talking about robots that are functioning on their own, like, intelligence or being programmed? Um, or they would have to be autonomous. I think you would not, uh, you would not enable off-pitch control. My only concern would be that when you're playing like sport or something like that, you're making split split second decisions and constantly improvising. Mm. And that's what robots typically don't do well at. Whereas, so if you had robots play each other, it would be interesting to watch. Um, But if you had robots working with humans, I think you'd be even more successful because they could actually work on the intuition and the improvisation of the human partner. And they could just follow and work with them and go, okay, my partner's doing this, all right, so I know I need to do this kind of strategy. It makes it easier for them. Are you serious, Justin? Have you seen the tempers on some of those football players? You don't want robots to be taking over and trying to attack <laughs> everyone. Well, <laughs> Chewy Lewis had a bit of the blues where he, um, Suarez, one of the, um, the players from Uruguay, just actually took a bite out of an Italian player in one of the final matches that happened later, earlier today. We're recording this on Wednesday the 25th. Um, so I guess it would cut down on like the physical biting or attacking and damage from players. Um, there's actually something even more that's amazing part of we're talking about players and their endurance. There was a player from um, again I think it was Uruguay, Uruguay versus England, and it was a very tight, intense match. And he was a defender, and he got taken out by a phenomenal tackle, and he was knocked unconscious, and he lay unconscious for several minutes, and the whole team's. I've seen the videos of this whole team is around him and the physios and the doctors and everything trying to wake him up, get him going. They eventually get him awake, get him back conscious and he gets up on his feet and refuses to be subbed off. All the medical staff and coaching staff are trying to drag him off the pitch but he doesn't come off and he, and he keeps playing. And then immediately after, basically, play resumes. Everyone's like, are you, are you sure about this? He's like, oh, I'm fine, we're going to do it. He plays some amazing defensive aerial maneuvers, handling the ball down, great fine motor skills, and amazing diving tackles. In fact, he played better after he was concussed and knocked out than before. Before um, all the um, rules about, you know, you're not supposed to play when concussed and stuff yes. like that, they actually had recorded um, back when soccer balls were made of like heavy bits of leather, yeah. people to get hit in the head with a ball would be unconscious and could continue to play while woken up in a semi-conscious zombie-like state. Hmm. It's certainly easy to do that. Uh, are we just pulling a mental recalibration like Natasha in The Avengers? 
maybe, but this guy actually, he just played phenomenally. It seemed like it, it sort of focused him on his mind. Like, taking a, taking a hit sort of jolted him full of adrenaline, and all of a sudden he was better. His muscles were like, don't worry guys, I got this. Because so much of it is not necessarily mental cognition, but more just intuition. And maybe his mental cognition was lowered down, so his body, his muscle memory was just taking over. Well, tell you what, Justin, next time I have an exam, can you please just, like, knock me unconscious beforehand? Well, that would probably, unless the exam is involving physical muscle memory, such as a performance for a musical instrument or a sport, it is unlikely to assist you. (laughs) Sorry to ruin your exam (laughs) strategy. So, what we've really got out of this is that there's a lot of different places on Earth and in the solar system where soccer or football could be played. We've already talked about previous in the podcast being able to do the Olympics on the moon. So, really, I think it's quite feasible that we play soccer on other planets. So, maybe one day you'll get your wish and sport will be banished to be played by robots on Venus in acid rain. <laughs> is it feasible or is it FIFA-able? It's definitely FIFA-able. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. Part two of our World Cup special this week, we talked about the World Cup in space and which planets would be feasible to host the World Cup. We also talked about the fluid mechanics behind getting that perfect spin or trick shot. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.